full throttle backwards while there's a crash jab going on. My brother's trying to sort out the jib. My dad is screaming at the top of his lungs. We do indeed subsequently crash very violently so into a pontoon uh, to the applause of everybody uh, on, in the marina. That's, that's, that's probably one of the dumbest things that, we, that I've done. Yeah. My guest today is Yelta Liebrand, founder and CEO of UK-based Savvy Navi, a navigational app for boaters launched a few years ago and now with already 60,000 users across a variety of regions. Yelta is one of those people I just clicked with straight away. He's a smart and funny Dutchman, passionate about sailing and boating in general. He has an impressive professional background from Google in San Francisco, and he's definitely a man on a mission to make a major challenge of boating much easier and more intuitive than the traditional offerings of today. When you are leaving your home waters and heading for ports unknown, Savvy Navi can provide the course to steer, as well as marina and anchorage information, as well as weather and the tidal information, of course, to boot. I really love the product, and I look forward to our chat today. Yeah, I'm going to take a wild guess here. Go out on a limb. You're a sailor, aren't you? That, how, how, was it the beard, or is it? Yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about uh, when you fell in love with sailing. I think um, that is a long, long time ago now, starting to feel old. Um, I think I was eight years old when I first uh, got introduced to sailing by my granddad in, in the Dutch lakes in Friesland, which is in the north of the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, he, he was involved with uh, something called Skutjesielen, which is the races of the flat bottom barges that we have in the Netherlands. Um, they're, they're amazing to watch. Um, so he's involved with that and, and obviously a sailor and, and got me into sailing. And as soon as I saw the boats, there's even a picture of me eight years old pointing at little boats on the lake going, I want to do that. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's effectively when it all started. Long, long time ago. And ever since then, you have been sailing i mean have you done this whole sail around the world thing i mean what's your craziest wildest or what no bragging rights give us your bragging rights as a oh, sailor my bragging rights oh that, that. So, so so i'll I'll back up before the bragging rights slightly because so i did start sailing in the netherlands eight years old uh in, a, in an optimist and oppie like I, I guess most people do um and effectively just did, did a bunch of sailing there with my my dad my brother you know, the father-son bonding moments type of thing, uh, but all on lakes, right? So in, in the Netherlands, th there's not a whole lot of navigation required. You can kind of see where you're going. I mean, there's some serious big ones as well, but um, what we did was pretty, pretty small like that. But in fast forward quite a bit, because um, then I sailed in, in the Baltics and in Thailand and, and, and Tahiti and other places. But the biggest bragging rights, I think, is when I when I took part in the Clip Around the World Yacht Race and sailed from San Francisco through Panama to New York. Clip Around the um, World Yacht Race. Clip Around the World Yacht Race. Yes, it's a, it's an amateur race that anybody can join. Uh, even if you don't know how to sail, they will train you up. And uh, it takes 11 months to do the whole thing, or you can take part in individual bits. Uh, I couldn't afford to do the whole thing, so so I just did one bit. Uh, mostly couldn't afford it from time as well, uh, by the way. And I don't think my wife would have appreciated me leaving for 11 months. Um, so yeah, I did I I did the I did the San Francisco to New York leg, wow. which uh, is effectively three smaller races, which is also why I picked it so that. 
you know, you get the most out of one leg effectively. Um, so it's a race from San Francisco to Panama. Obviously, you don't race through the canal. And then it's from uh, Colon on the other side to Jamaica, uh, and then from Jamaica to New York. I think they changed the route by now, but that, that's what it was when I did it. Really cool. How long was that then to do? Uh, I think it was about, um, I, I took two months off uh, of work to do it. Um, but the, the bit through the canal obviously took about a week. The, the layover in Jamaica was about a week as well, if I recall correctly, which is really cool because we, there's the 12 boats and, and we were um, team Jamaica. So we were sponsored by Jamaica. So it was our home <laughs> run, right? And if you do the home run, like for, for every boat that is sponsored by a different city or whatever, you always want to win the home run. And inevitably, therefore, you will lose the home run because <laughs> you're going to do something completely different out of, you know, out of character. And and so did we. So we ended up second to last on that race, which is a bit, bit of embarrassing. But there you go. Um, <clears throat> but we, we got treated like royalty. As soon as we got to, to Jamaica, we you know, red carpet treatment and they took us around the island and showed us everything. So it, it was a real, real good layover. Let's put it that way. A lot of, lot of rum, a lot of rum involved. And what kind of boat are you sailing? That's a Clipper 70. Um, so they, they, they've been going for, I think about 20 years now, and they started on 60 foot boats, then 68, I believe, and then 70. So the race I did was in 2014, which was the first year that these boats, that the seventies were introduced um and there's about anywhere from you know, 12 people to 20 people on board which quite frankly that's actually one of the biggest things that you need to learn is it's not so much sailing it's it's how do you how do you get on with 20 people on a boat i mean there might be somebody you don't get along with and there's nowhere to go right you, you can't just walk away or you know go around the block you you have to deal with it so yeah teamwork is is one of the big things that you really have to learn on a on a ocean race like that um but uh, yeah, it's it's an amazing adventure. If anybody anybody listening is thinking about doing something like that, I highly recommend it. Um, it's not going to be what you expect, but because it never is. But it's um, it's it's really it's a it's a great adventure. What boat do you enjoy most sailing? Whew. Um So I have two boats. Um, well, I suppose you call them boats. One is a is a little dinghy. It's an RS Zest training boat. Um, because I have a four-year-old son that I'm desperately trying to get into sailing, and and he's uh, he is liking it, <laughs> even if I have to say so myself. Um, so that's that's great because it's just really fun to see him, you know, on the helm and trying to to move this little dinghy around. Um, but it's completely different than uh, the other boat that we have, which is a Southerly 115, a 30-year-old cruiser, um, which is also you know a family boat. It's it's very spacious down below, so we get to go down the south coast of England and just, you know, check out various different places here. Um, and that's really now what I enjoy the most. Um, you know, having done the racing, I came back from the Clipper race. Uh, at the time I was living in San Francisco and I'd done some crewing and racing in, in the Bay. And I came back and did a bit more of that. And really quickly, almost on the, the second race I did after that, I, I realized that I, I'm, I'm just kind of done with this. <laughs> like, there, there's another boy to go around and another sail change to have to do and everything. And just cruising is is a little bit more relaxing, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've switched a little bit from the racing to the cruising. Now, so that's, that's yeah. what I enjoy at the moment. But as a as a hack amateur sailor, my father was a sailor, so I did grow up with my father when I was mm -hmm. four years old. I had a sunfish. I had a, mm. I had a little 
a little sunfish. And I actually, once I got the hang of some basics, I, I thought it was amazing. But tell me this, and this is kind of a difficult question to ask and answer, but what's the difference between a great sailor and just your average sailor? Like if you've met a great sailor, how would you describe that person? What does he or she have in her? My immediate response is actually perhaps a slightly old one. To, to me, a great sailor is somebody who truly enjoys sailing, right? Um, so it's not so much about, and, and so you know, if you're looking at it from a racing perspective, it's a very different story, right? Then it's it's the ones that have the the black magic who can just just spot where the the gust of wind is coming from, or you know what the tide is doing, go inshore, offshore, all this other kind of navigational tactics, strategy, all that stuff. But to me, a great sailor is somebody who just thoroughly enjoys it and you can immediately see it. You know, they get on the helm or they get on the boat and, you know, shine in their eyes and then they just enjoy it. And therefore, they're a pleasure to be around, right? And and they're they're fun. Um, you, you start looking at racing, then there's all of a sudden a lot more shouting going on <laughs> and a lot more... You know, not that rope and you know and everything that goes with it but yeah to me a great seller is somebody who enjoys it therefore does it a lot and and the more more you do it the more miles you get under your belt the more you learn at the end of the day that's really the only way to learn is to get out there and do it yeah um so that that to me is a great is a great seller and somebody i would want to sail with what inspired you to start savvy navi uh, funny enough, the the clipper race. Um, so, like I said, I, I I learned sailing in the Netherlands where navigation isn't that much of uh, in, not that important, um, depending if you're doing lo- longer journeys. But when I got on the Clipper seventy um, going down to Panama, uh, we ended up on the podium. By the way, I, I feel the need to say this. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a little little side note. If, if anybody says they ended up on the podium that they're obviously third, right? Because if you win, you say you win. If you're second, you say it's... If you're third, you never really say you're third. You say you ended up on the podium. So, yeah, we, we did end up on the podium. So, Congratulations. There you go. Uh, but it, getting down to Panama is is tricky because the, the further south you go, the less wind there is, and it becomes really tactical, right? Um, so you're looking at, okay, how, you know, should we go inshore and get the ocean current, get this this wind that is predicted over here? You get updates every six hours. So you're doing a lot of manual strategy and trying to work out which which route to take and which best route to, to, to take down to the finish line. And I was baffled at how tricky that was. Like you're on this boat and it's, it's a multi-million pound boat and you think it's bring, brimming to the max with technology. And it is, but the technology is dated, right? If you compare it to like navigation on land, anybody on land now, you if, if I want to get to I don't know, to to tip of Italy, I drop in on Google Maps and with 100 milliseconds, I know exactly how to drive there and I know where the traffic is and what to avoid. But at sea, it's a whole different ballgame, right? You you have some charts and you need to figure out where's the hazards? Is there a TSS that I've got to cross at right angles? What what do I need to do here? What do I need to do there? Then there's the weather that you overlay in a grip file and you have a nice little slider that you move backwards and forwards and you pretend to be a meteorologist and you actually have no idea what you're doing. And then there's the currents and then there's the tides and there's so many things involved to to take into consideration manually um, where I basically just thought, well, there has to be a better way. So that's that's where the idea for Savinavi came from is this notion that all these various different inputs really should be in one place and it should be the computer telling me what the best route is like helping me right? I'm not saying that 
You don't need to learn how to navigate. You don't need to learn how to sail. You do for the same reason that you don't go on the motorway without getting a driving license. But sure, surely the computer can help you do these things. So that's it. That's where the idea was born. Um, but at the time I was working at Google. So when I was done with the race, I went back to Google and this just kind of festered in my brain going, well, yeah, there should be more here, but is it me? Is it is this a problem that you have on a 70-foot sailboat in the middle of the Pacific? Or is this something that anybody in a boat has? Sailboats, motorboats, you know, I believe you have a motorboat. I mean, there are things that you consider when you go out, um, whether or not you should go out, or at what time you should go out, or when you should come back. So I started talking to a lot of different people uh, about this and trying to kind of hone in what the problems are that people have in the leisure marine industry. Um, and then a couple of years later, 2017, I decided in for a penny and for a pound, left Google and uh, started Savin Abbey. Kudos for following your dream. It's the best way to launch any business or product is it's something that I would use. It's something that I need and, and, and go for there, go from there. So, yes, I, I do have a, a motorboat. Um, walk me through how I would use Savvy Navi today once I'm leaving my home waters. I mean, everything within 30 minutes or an hour, I know. You don't look at anything. You drive with one eye closed. But then when I have my 10-year-old and I'm going two, three, four hours away into literally uncharted territory, how does Savvy Navi help me? Hopefully very easily. Uh, that, that's that it. So the, the point is that if you wanted to go three, four hours further up, um, all you need to do is drop a pin. Drop the pin where you want to go. And within a second, we will tell you this is the best route to take. And if you're sailing, we will tell you, OK, well, you know what? You can sail for an hour, but then you're going to run out of wind. So turn on your engine, go over here, get a nice ley line and sail the last bit. If you're going on end, if you're motorboat, um, we can tell you, well, you know what? It's going to cost you this much fuel to get there. Uh, we can tell you that the tide is doing this, whatever. So therefore, if you're leaving now, you're going to get there at six o'clock. But if you actually wait an hour, you you go faster because obviously the tide's with you or against you, et cetera. Um, so how you use it is as simple as dropping a pin. That's when you're about to head off. So that's kind of like the pre-planning phase or even if you're already on your boat. Um, but then also when you're on the boat, uh, if you have you know, some, some boats have a chart plotter down below and maybe not at the helm, we have you know your active GPS. We know where you are. We can show you. We have all the charts. We can tell you where the hazards are. We have active GPS so you can see where you're heading. Are you heading in the right direction? Are you going off course? Are you perhaps heading towards a hazard? All of these things directly at the helm on your phone um, is, is another aspect of what we do. When I did take this particular trip I, I was talking about last summer where I convinced my nervous wife that this was the window. There was four or five days of just epic, calm, sunny, 25 degree, smooth sailing. Uh, down to, to Stavanger and back. And I just have a 21-footer uh, and, you know, the 10-year-old. And so, you know, there, there's some nerves involved. I found it so frustrating to do what you just described. Mm. And, and so half the boating pleasure was taken away with me trying to stay calm and cool with my boy while I figured mm -hmm, try, mm -hmm. how long. All the worries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we when I when we started Savinavi, I talked to like I said, I talked to a lot of people, and I found that there's a, a lot of people that get very intimidated by a lot of these things, and and to a degree, rightfully so, right? Um, at the end of the day, if you get your tidal calculations wrong here in the Solent, it can get pretty gnarly, and it can get pretty dangerous at times, right? Um, people run aground all the time still, which is 
baffling because it shouldn't be that hard. Um, so there's a big intimidation factor that we we like to talk about and and like to like get rid of effectively and, and help people understand that it doesn't need to be that difficult. You should learn these things. You should know how to do them. But we find that a lot of people, even if they know how to do it, are worried that they got it wrong. And like you said, you end up on that boat and you end up on that trip, the skipper on the boat, constantly concerned about the people on the boat, the safety of the people on the boat, whether or not you're going to get back before dark. Uh, if you don't, or it starts to get dark, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to find your way back, etc. All these things that really technology should help you with uh, and not like cause, be, be more cause for concern. There's a lot of technology right now that just actually makes this increasingly more difficult. If, if I see a new person on a boat that's never been on a boat, they're used to Google Maps or whatever, and they look at some of the chart plotters out there, and you know, it, it's, it's baffling. It's like they're looking at all these squiggly lines and, and circles and this and the other, and have no idea what's going on, and it's scary. And, and we shouldn't have it be scary. We should have it be easier to understand for people so more people can enjoy the water. Because as you say, it's beautiful out there. If you actually get out there and enjoy it, it's perfect. Forgive my dumb question, and you sort of just led me to it right there. But I, the, the the layman, the Forrest Gump in me says, surely this exists today. Surely this is available today. I mean, you've you've heard me before. I'm sorry that cars are smart, houses are smart. How are boats so dumb? Can you talk me through your sense of the options out there and and or lack thereof? Yeah, I mean that hit the nail on the head. Uh, that, that's somewhat the same experience that I and, and many other people have when they, they get into boating and, you know, upgrade from, from dinghy sailing to, to more serious stuff. You would think that all of this is solved already, right? And this is not necessarily rocket science in many, many ways, but it's not. And I think one of the problems is that there is a lot of different tech out there. There's a lot of different gadgets and a lot of different um, manufacturers, etc., and and each one seems to really focus and hone in on one particular aspect of of boating. It might, it might be the charts, or it might be the weather, or it might be radar, or it might be this, or it might be that. Um, and there's very little, um, not necessarily overlap, but there's very little uh, effort to combine that all into one easy to use package, right? One. I started my career, a slight tangent here, but I started my career in uh, at Symbian, a mobile operating system uh, for mobile phones. And nowadays, you ask anybody, and the first smartphone people talk about is the iPhone. Well, there were actually smartphones before that, but they were clunky and they were difficult to use in many ways. And until the iPhone came around and, and changed people's mind, if you would have asked anybody with a smartphone back then or thinking about a smartphone, what is the one feature you want? I guarantee you, nobody would have said pinch zoom, right? Which is what iPhone comes along with. And they come with this new way of doing things that is more user-friendly, more understood. And all of a sudden my four-year-old is using my phone like it's second nature, right? That's the bit that has, I think, been lacking in, in tech and marine. It's still that, that dated way of looking at things. Uh, everything comes with a manual really thick. It shouldn't be that way, right? Your, your tech should speak for itself and it should be easy to use. Um, you shouldn't need to learn it. It should be second nature almost. I have to stop right there. Yelta just said the tech should speak for itself and be easy to use. I just could not think of a better segue to an official message from your sponsor, who just happens to be me, Kelly Moulton, head of marketing at Sensar Marine.
With Smart Boat One installed, the modern boater can experience safe and secure boating like never before, always connected to your boat 24-7, regardless if your boat battery is on or off. Keeping track of your boat's batteries, water level, temperature, position, and movement. Safe at sea, safe at shore. So give me a snapshot of Savvy Navi today, a few years later now. How many people are using you? Which countries? Just, uh, yeah. We have uh, over 60,000 people registered uh, across more than 100 countries around the world. Uh, we've spent the last three years really perfecting the product, um, doing a lot of uh, case studies, user studies, a lot of A-B testing, trying to figure out what exactly works for people, what doesn't work, what are the things that, that they're really lacking, what they're looking for. Um, so now we've gotten to the point where we're really about to push the product far more than we have in the past. In the past, we've actually actively not pushed it. We, we've had a trickle feed of users come in so that we can test and, and try out the various different hypotheses that we had. Um, so now we're on the verge of actually pushing that a little bit further. We've also uh, now got about 93% chart coverage across the regions that we care about. There's five main regions. Northern America, um, the Mediterranean, Northern Europe, Baltics, and Oceania. So we got all those places covered from a from a charting perspective. We have our routing, we have our global weather, we have tides everywhere, we have GPS integration. So um, yeah, we're we're at the at the start of a bigger push in 2021. Obviously, 2020, big elephant in the room, uh, COVID, right? So things got a bit turned around for everybody last year. Um, but for the last 10 months or so, it appears every man and his dog has been buying boats. Boat sales have been going through the roof. Uh, I don't know if that's because everybody wanted to buy a boat and just never did and then thought COVID life is short, let me buy a boat. Uh, or if it's because people can't travel and they want to do something domestic, whatever the reason people are buying boats. So there's this big pent up demand and a boom about to happen of people getting out on the water as spring is coming around the corner now, vaccines are rolling out. So we think 2021 is going to be an amazing year. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're ready to uh, to really push for that. So real world scenario, back to my trip last summer. Obviously, you're not going to know the, co the coastline of Norway that well, but you'll understand the situation is that I'm in protected sort of quote, call it inland waters until I have to come out into open ocean for, let's say, 20 minutes back in my hometown, Pensacola, Florida, we called it the pass. So it's the pass out mm -hmm. and then back in. And that was the part that caused everyone from my father-in-law <laughs> down, to, <laughs> down to my own son anxiety about this 21-foot cork bobbing yeah. up and down. In, would, would Savvy Navi have told me green light, yellow light, red light to cross that pass? Yes, uh, effectively. We, we don't use the color coding, no. although that's an interesting thing. I'll, I'll make a note of that and, <laughs> and, and thank you if I should add it to the roadmap. Um, that's precisely the type of things that we uh, we do, right? So we, we have the tidal information. We know what the water is doing. We know what the weather is doing. We do know actually what the coastline is doing. We have the official Norwegian charts. Um, so we have the depths, we have the shallows. We also have as part of Norwegian chart and, and a lot of Scandinavian charts are like this. We have the, the recommended tracks, yeah. right? So there is encoded in the charts exactly, you know, don't go there, go over here because yeah. people before you have figured this out, right? Um, so yeah, we have all that information there and we can tell you exactly what the best route is, what the best course is and, and give you estimates, give you ETAs. We work out based on your boat, how fast you can go, uh, what, what's your cruising speed, what, what's your top speed. Um, 
bunch of fuel consumption and and you know perhaps tell you don't try that or or maybe we should say don't try it with the in-laws and do it on your own <laughs> fun fact that on my fjord just two weeks ago for the first time in 35 years people right outside my back window i've showed you the 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 view before people were ice skating for the first time mm. in uh, 35 years uh, i sat and had a glass of prosecco myself and watched <laughs> for my seat on the ice and yesterday i went boating on that same fjord yeah. so i mean it's been crazy it, it's crazy and uh i'm now looking forward to an epic extended most active boat season uh, i've ever had and i will be using um savvy navi so we could have ended the podcast there on a nice professional note um but then in the B-roll, Yelta made the mistake of saying this. Uh, no, it's been great. We're going to have a good chat. Um, I didn't actually think of anything particular that I would have expected you to ask. You, usually there's something in there about, you know, what's the dumbest thing you've done. Um, but, Thank uh, you so much. I, you know, you were about to just <laughs> wiggle off the hook and flop back into the ocean. <laughs> uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done on a boat? I, well, uh, how long do you have? Because this this <laughs> might this might make the podcast a bit too long. I think um, there are so many dumb things. Um, I think the the, <laughs> the way to answer this is usually the, the best way to answer dumbest things is to deflect, right? So I'll, I'll tell you a story about my dad um, because then, <laughs> then then it's not my fault. Um, so when I was a very young lad, my dad took me and my brother out sailing. And he decided that it would be a great idea to show everybody how good of a sailor he and his sons were by sailing into the marina and into the berth, right? So full sails on going into a marina full of boats, full of people watching and everything else with a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, uh, which I do not recommend you try. So, uh, so we did try, obviously. And just as we're getting into the marina, uh, there's this gust of wind coming in, of course. Uh, so we, we crash jibe as we're heading towards this berth. There's boats everywhere. Everybody's getting up now to, to look at what, what this idiot is doing with his sons. And I'm on the helm, and I immediately think that this is this is a very bad idea. Um, so instead of trying to, you know, I don't know, avoid, <laughs> take avoiding action, I, I leap over to, to get to the outboard and turn the outboard on because I'm, I'm by now there's mutiny. I'm not listening to my father anymore. I'm... I'm getting the, motor, the, the the engine on, full on reverse, full throttle backwards while the, there's a crash jab going on. My brother's trying to sort out the jib. My dad is screaming at the top of his lungs to, to <laughs> God knows do what. I have no idea. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we do indeed subsequently crash very violently so into a pontoon uh, to the applause of everybody uh, on, in the marina. That's, that's, that's probably one of the dumbest things that we that I've done. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. I think with every podcast, I'm going to keep upping upping the ante on the dumb story, but you just upped it pretty high. Thank you so much. But I think it's important for boaters, amateur boaters, beginning boaters, aspiring boaters to hear that actually, even though, of course, we talk about smart boating, that <laughs> dumb boating is mm. a fundamental part. Yes. boating and having yes. those stories proudly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I actually, all joking aside, that is actually a good thing to mention is that 
at the end of the day, and I keep coming back to this, this intimidating factor, right? There's something about boating and something about sailing and the jargon that is being used and every, everything on a boat is a different name, you know? And, and if you're new to it, I can, that, you know, that, that's, that's scary and that's intimidating. And it's a shame because it's fun. And yeah, we crashed the boat and stuff. And luckily every, everybody was okay. And there can be dangerous situations. I'm not saying they're not, but just go out and try it, right? Get yeah. in a dinghy and enjoy yourself. And you will capsize. You're going to get wet. That's okay. That's fine. You know how to swim. Have fun, right? And just basically have fun. I think that's a great, great way to, to end. I think there's some part of um, taking your knocks uh, and, and taking your public uh, embarrassments uh, in stride. Um, and, and realizing mm. that all of those blank, judgmental Nordic stares that are coming at you from the, <laughs> the they've been there too. Yeah. They have been there yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. And that concludes the main portion of the podcast for the love of boats with our guest, Yelta Librand, founder and CEO, Savvy Navi. We hoped you enjoyed it as much as we did. There is now a bonus section, however, where we discuss raising money for an early stage venture, which happens to be a pet passion of mine. Yelta has opted for the crowdfunding route, and I was interested in hearing more as to why crowdfunding versus, say, venture capital. So for those of you who are interested, please stay tuned. Otherwise, I wish you smooth sailing, and remember, summer's just around the corner. I do want to conclude, please, with just a little bit of discussion about your, your funding strategy, because I myself am a hack angel investor, and I, I, I love um, actually the topic of, of, of financing um, companies that are in their growth phase. And you've taken a deliberate uh, venture capital is not for everyone. In fact, it's for a specific kind of case. Mm, yeah. uh, we're going to go crowdfunding. Can you just talk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we when we started, uh, like I said, I'd left Google, so that opened quite a few doors for me. And I, we we looked at the VC route, and and if you'd asked me back then, um, you know, do, do you understand the difference between VC and angel and crowdfunding? And I would I would have told you, yes, I do. I mean, anybody knows, right? As it turns out, no, I don't, um, because there's a lot of intricacies about exactly what a VC is and why they fundraise and how they fundraise and, and what their intent is for the fund to 20x or 10x or whatever it is versus an angel. Um, and, and everybody seems to think, well, angels is the same. It's just a smaller VC. They want to make money. And, and in actual fact, what we find is that's not so much the truth. A lot of angel investors do it because they want to give back, because they believe in something, right? And they believe in what you're trying to do and they understand that market and therefore they want to help you. And that for us is a much, much better alignment with what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to innovate in a space that you have to understand. You you have to see, you know, why are we doing this? What is the space doing today, et cetera? So angel uh, investment and crowdfunding being an extension thereof, right? You have a few angels that invest and then the crowd that comes with it fits far better for us in what we're doing. We, we have, like I said, we have 60,000 people registered on, on our platform. And a lot of them want to see this succeed because they understand what we're trying to do. So crowdfunding really works well for us. We, we've done it twice now. We're about to do our third crowdfunding round um, over the next couple of weeks. Um, and, and it's been great. We have over 1,200 uh, investors. We can lean on them as soon as we need any 
advice for particular bits, be it marketing, be it logistics, be it whatever, we can tap into that resource. Um, so for us, that's worked really, really well. You just described the way an angel might might sound. Now put on your VC hat, your VC investor hat, and how is that person talking? I, I read this uh, once somewhere, which which I think is a great example. And I wish I would have remembered where I read it so I can actually give, give credit where credit is due. But um, there was a particular founder uh, who uh, for a startup was pitching to a bunch of VCs and, and he's on stage and he's got his slide deck and he's going and, and, then, and then, then he gets to the, the money slide, as he called it. And it, it wasn't necessarily a slide about money, but it was the most important slide in his deck or so he thought because it was explaining how the business was going to work, why it was going to be success, why in two years time it would be profitable and, and off it goes. And as he gets to the slide, one of the VCs in the room starts to chuckle and, and laugh. Now, if you're pitching in front of a bunch of VCs and they start laughing at you, that's usually not a good sign. So you can do two things. You can soldier on and kind of give up or you, or you can try and course correct. And, and he did. And he, he effectively thought, well, this is not going to work, but I want to learn from this. So he asked the investor, you know, what's so funny? And not, not, not in a passive aggressive way, but just try and learn, right? And try and understand. And the VC said, well, look, it is funny because you're pitching to a VC. I am investing because I've got a fund and I want to make 10x, 20x. And the two things that I need for that to happen is for you to grow, 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 and grow some more. And second, for me to own as much of you as I can, right? And those things combined mean that I want to invest in you so that you push for growth, as much growth as you can. And when you've run out of money, I want you to come back to me so you get some more money from me because you're not raising funds you are selling your company, right? And as a VC, I want to invest in you a number of times, series A, series B, series D, so that I own as much of you as possible by the time you've grown to where I want you to grow so that we can all make the most money out of it, right? And that's a very good way to think about it. It's not, I'm not saying all VCs are like this and there's obviously differences here and there, but generally speaking, that growth model is the VC model, right? The hockey stick that everybody talks about and, and the, the unicorns and the billions of users or billions of dollars, whatever, that is a VC model because it fits the model of what they're trying to achieve. Whereas an angel, yeah, of course they want to make money. You're still investing. I'm not saying, you know, hello, this is this is the world, but but it's there to build something solid, build something sustainable and build it in a proper way. So it's, it's a different mindset. And they're not driven to have the same uh, return uh, profile that a, a VC fund is driven. Um, I could talk about that topic for for hours, but we'll park it there. Um, thank you. That was really eloquently said. And I thought that was really helpful. Um, how much are you raising? What sort of ticket can someone write? Uh, how much have you raised to date? We uh, so we've done two crowdfunding rounds on the Cedars platform here in the UK. There's, there's a couple of platforms, but Cedars is one of them. Um, we raised uh, just over 300 in the first round. We raised over 600,000 uh, pounds uh, in the second round. We're probably going to raise somewhere between 500 and a million this time. Uh, the ticket size, because it's Cedars, uh, the, the, the minimum ticket size is 10 pounds. Uh, anybody could come on board. Uh, so, and that's great because it allows the crowd and the people, you know, our Savvy Navi users, et cetera, to back us uh, and, and really, you know, be part of this adventure. Uh, obviously, as I said, it's a bit of a combination of uh, heavy hitters, right? Some angels at the front that are that are putting in quite a bit more than that to carry the round. But and that's then, how you anchor correct, the round. Correct. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you anchor the round with a, with a handful of 
investors. Uh, so last year, for example, the founder of Kahoot, the, the gaming education platform you may be aware of, he's an avid sailor. He and his partner uh, came on board. They're following through. They're, they're one of our big angels that are pushing this round. Um, and then, yeah, the crowd, anybody, anybody can come on board. Uh, go to, go to Savinavi, drop me a line and I'll, I'll give you more details. Um, so yeah, over the next couple of weeks, uh, that should all go live. I'm not sure you're supposed to say best of luck to a sailor. What am I supposed to say? Can I say best of luck with your, uh, uh you, you could say whatever Bre- break a leg is probably the, may wrong the wind be in your sails. Uh, you know, fair, fair winds, fair winds, yeah. fair winds to you, sir. Thank you so much for your time. I, I enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great fun.